Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCleskey. On the last day of the liturgical year, the church celebrates the Solemnity of Christ the King, a feast that was instituted partly in response to aggressive secularist, uh, if, if we could call them that, secularist movements in different parts of the world. One of those movements took place in Mexico, where the church faced serious hostility uh, in the early 20th century. And that hostility produced one of the great martyrs of the Americas, Blessed Miguel Pro, who is famous for declaring his allegiance to Christ the King at his execution. To talk with us today about Blessed Miguel, we have Emmanuel Arenas. Emmanuel is a Jesuit scholastic currently pursuing an MA in philosophy and theology for ministry at St. Louis University. He teaches catechism at Our Lady of Guadalupe Parish and serves as the chaplain for the St. Louis University baseball team, the Billikens, right? That's your mascot, the Billikens? That's right. Yeah. Our, <laughs> Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. What is a Billiken? I must know. Yeah, you know, we get that question a lot. I, I, I don't even really know. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's really, it's a lucky... Uh, I don't know, like a lucky little troll, I believe. And, and so it's everywhere all over SLU. It's one of the most common questions we get. Um, but I mean, we've been lucky. I mean, for example, this year, the soccer team just won the championship yesterday. So they're going to be going to the tournament. They're going to be seated high. So, you know, the luck's there. Great. Congrats. <laughs> I, I like it because I, I just, I like it when schools do weird things that's not like everybody else. Like if you, if you just if all the schools like kind of just do the same version of a handful of things or, or their own version, but they all kind of do the same thing, it's just boring. So I love seeing a weird mascot. I just think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like what college stuff. That's like part of what college, especially with athletics. That's what it's all about, I think. But on to more serious matters. Um, I, so first, we're, we're talking about um, this martyrdom, the solemnity of Christ the King. The part of the background to the Solemnity of Christ the King was instituted in 1925, so relatively recently instituted. Um, the it had to do with anti-Catholicism, and and the anti-Catholicism in Mexico, you know, forms the background for these these events. Could you just give us tell us some of the context? You know, not I mean, anti-Catholicism is sound very general. What was, what's going on there? Like what was happening in Mexico, um, you know, in the late teens and through the 20s? Yeah, absolutely. So in 1917, uh, the Constitution of Mexico implemented new provisions. So these provisions put serious restrictions on the Catholic Church, uh, suppressing monastic orders. Priests were not able to vote. They also restricted the amount of uh, ability that the priest had. So priests were not able to wear their clerical attire. Um, and so it was like, you know, all these new provisions were put in place to kind of uh, suppress the Catholic church at this point. So there was severe uh, oppression, severe persecution. And this really kind of, you know, grew, especially in the 1920s when President Calles kind of took office there. Uh, he started looking at those provisions in the constitutions and implementing them more and more. And so this is the time of Blessed Miguel Pro where he comes into the picture and, you know, I'll speak a little bit more about him later. So what was going on 
in the broader world at the time? I mean, what was the political, were there, I'm assuming there were political motivations behind this suppression of Catholicism, right? So right. The, the, what were the forces behind, um, or the motivation behind suppressing Catholicism in, in the Mexican constitution? Yeah, so the Catholic Church uh, was very powerful in Mexico at this point. You know, they had a lot of property, so a lot of land as well. And so when you had certain people take office and that, you know, saw that the, the church was very powerful, very influential in Mexico at this point, they implemented new provisions to kind of regain that power. So taking some of that land, so confiscating church property, um, suppressing a lot of these monastic orders, so they would take that property as well. Um, so yeah, these kind of things were in place. There was kind of a threat of this foreign power, the Catholic Church being in Mexico and that kind of, uh, what happened there was a reaction out of fear. Tell us more about Miguel Pro. You know, just who was he? Was his, you know, maybe a little bit about his background if, if you think that that's relevant. And just his, the outlines of his story. You know, how did he become a martyr? Yeah, absolutely. He was an incredible guy. Uh, you know, he was born in Mexico. So near Zacatecas, it's like central Mexico. And he was a family guy. He loved his family very much. Uh, he really looked up to his mother in a lot of ways. So growing up, you know, Miguel was like very relatable. You know, he struggled with his faith early on. He uh, loved to be at home. His father worked for a mining company and owned a couple mines himself. So he got used to working with his father, seeing what a lot of people went through when they're working. Uh, a lot of these miners were poor and did not have proper medical uh, care, proper pay, these kind of things. So he kind of saw that up front. Uh, he was also very close to his mother, like I mentioned earlier. And what he would do is actually he would go with his mother to these mines and would oftentimes pass out food, uh, visit their homes, giving them medical attention, these kind of things. So early on, he kind of grew in love for the poor. Um, he kind of saw the needs that were, were, uh, were present there. And yeah, so later on, you know, he starts developing, he starts growing up and uh, his family was very devoutly Catholic, you know, so his, he learned how to pray early on from his mother and father. Great devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe. Uh, great devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And growing from that, you know, he, he started going to school. He saw that his family was growing, everything like that. But, um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there weren't trials there. So at a certain point in his life, he's really started struggling with his faith a little bit. And that's where he met the Jesuits. That's where he met the Jesuits. And he met two Jesuits that really embodied the ideals of St. Ignatius and the Society of Jesus. And that really inspired him. That he went on a retreat, he started meeting them and having really good conversations with them. And that led to his growth and his love for the faith. And so as he kind of grew, he started growing in his faith a little bit more and more. And so at the age of 20, he entered the Society of Jesus. And early on in Jesuit formation, most Jesuits go through something called the spiritual exercises. It's really the, the foundation of our formation. Um, so the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, it's broken up into four different weeks. The first week is talking about how God sees what's happening in the world. And we're kind of reflecting on sin. We're reflecting on, you know, our role in the world, what's happening in the world. And we see how God looks at the world and loves the world and wants to enter into it. So it's more about, about a, like a conversion, conversion of heart the first week. The second week, you accompany Jesus. So now we're moving into the incarnation. Uh, that's also where the Christ the King meditation 
is in the in the spiritual exercises. So the the beauty of this meditation is that you imagine yourself uh, before somebody, uh, somebody in this world, maybe someone that you look up to, and you admire, and you want to follow. You want to follow into battle. Uh, you want to imitate them in every way: the way they dress, the way they talk, uh, the way they care for people, these kind of things. And so, moving from there, then we move into okay, so we want to follow this individual. Now, what if this individual was Jesus himself, Jesus the King? And so we even feel more of a desire to imitate Jesus in this way. So we want to dress like Jesus. We want to talk like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. Um, we want to be humble like Jesus. These kind of things take root in our heart. Um, so that's the Christ the King meditation in the second week. The third week focuses more on the passion, you know, the crucifixion of Jesus. And then the last week, the fourth week, is about the resurrection. And then what do we do? What's our response to the love that we have been shown? So Miguel Pro would have gone through this incredible experience uh, during his first couple years in the Jesuits. And then during this time, you know, the Catholic persecution was going on in Mexico. So he couldn't continue his formation there. So he had to actually go to Europe to continue his formation, continue his studies. And this is where he becomes a beloved catechist. You know, he starts really relating well to people, connecting people that perhaps disagree with the church. He's able to just be in good relationship with a lot of people. This happens because of his joy, his humble witness, his love for his faith. Um, and he becomes a model for his own brothers. You know, a lot of his brothers are struggling in different ways. And he, you see him kind of put, a, put, put aside a lot of his worries just to care for them, to laugh with them, all these kind of things. And privately, I think this is where I was really inspired was his devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, to, to Mary, uh, and the amount of time he spent before the Blessed Sacrament, just spending time praying before the Blessed Sacrament, resting before the Blessed Sacrament. Um, I think that's where a lot of his, uh, you know, a lot of clarity came into his life, a lot of strength came into his life. Uh, this love that he received before Jesus there really fed his desire to accompany more people. And so after spending a lot of time in Europe, you know, uh, he also struggled with health. So he had a lot of stomach issues, uh, kind of like St. Ignatius himself. He was talking to his provincial and his provincial, you know, Miguel wasn't able to go back to Mexico because of the persecution, you know, it was getting more and more intense. At this point, uh, Catholics were being, uh, you know, tortured, imprisoned, and at times killed for their faith. So it was very intense. And Miguel wanted to go back to Mexico because his family's there, right? He loved his family. He wanted to be close to his family. Um, so it was really hard for him to be apart from his family, especially being in Europe so far away. Uh, but after he was ordained, um, he received permission to go back to Mexico, to go back to Mexico. And he knew what that would be like. He knew it would be difficult. So he went back to Mexico. And this is where he just really embodied uh, the Jesuit ideals, you know, a really imitated Christ in a lot of ways. He went to visit the sick. He cared for the poor. He brought people sacraments to their houses. He would also hear confessions at the park. You know, he would sit on a park bench reading a newspaper, pretending to read a newspaper, but really be hearing someone's confession. Uh, so he was very innovative. You know, he was very uh, smart in the way that he went about things um, to avoid being arrested and these kind of things. So, you know, during this time, a lot of Catholics were feeling a lot of tension, you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, because they're like, you know, people are looking for us. 
people are going to imprison us. Um, and what he would do too, using his joy and the way he was able to relate to people, he would oftentimes lead, kind of, you know, lighten that tension a little bit, make it more lighthearted. So he would want to comfort people as well. In 1927, unfortunately, he was arrested. And this is where he was imprisoned. And President Callez, um, without proper trial, you know, Miguel Pro did not receive a trial and was sentenced to death uh, by gunfire. So he, as he kind of get prepared himself to to die, it was it was quite beautiful. He he knelt down before he was going to die, prayed for the last time, and also forgave those that were about to execute him. You know, he really wanted uh, to show a beautiful witness of God's love and forgiveness at that point. And he stood up, and withholding a crucifix in one hand and a rosary in the other, he made the the form of a cross with his body. And he screamed out, Viva Cristo Rey, which means long live Christ the King. Um, and so that was his death. Uh, it was quite beautiful. Yeah, very her heroic in a lot of ways. So inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. It, the, the forces there, the government must have seen him really as, as a threat. I mean, how, what, were, what was this effect of the, the witness of his life on Mexico? Or, I mean, was it just that they did the Mexican government see him as they saw it arresting him, executing him as it would be seen as a, a symbolic, not symbolic, but it, you know, we're serious about this, this, um, the, you know, restricting Catholicism and we're going to show you how by executing one of your, you know, one of your treasured beloved leaders. I mean, what That's was right. the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So president Kaya's, um, the reason we have, you know, photographs of this martyrdom uh, is because President Caius actually invited reporters to come and document the event. He wanted them to see what happens to Catholics, you know, see what happens to uh, this priest who was, you know, going around and, and giving the sacraments and so on. Um, he wanted to make an example out of him. And so it's interesting because, you know, God uses that to bring people, uh, bring people closer to him. So these photographs are taken, they're sent out everywhere and people see Miguel Pro's witness, you know, at the very end and it inspires people. So thousands of people appear, you know, to process during his wake and his funeral. And it's amazing because they can't do anything about it because so many people are showing up because Mexico is a very Catholic country, right? And you're going to have a lot of people there with a strong devotion. So uh, it really inspired people rather than, you know, deterred them. So it was, it was, it, it quite, it, it made an opposite effect of what President Kaya's really wanted. Yeah, that seems to, when, when our symbol, like our, one of our main symbols is a, is a crucifix, that that is not a religion that responds to public things like public executions with shrinking back. I mean, that, that, I mean, you've, you've sort of played into what our, to our religion. I wonder if yeah. you could talk a bit about just your own personal relationship with, with Blessed Miguel Pro. Um, you know, part of the reason we reached out to you about doing this, this podcast is because you had an article, I believe is in September um, on this topic for the, for the blog, the, the Jesuit post. And, you know, and I believe this is your first, the first contribution 
your first contribution to the Jesuit post. And, and so, yeah, I just think that says something about what's a, the, that this was the first thing you wanted to write about. Um, what, why, is, why was this the topic? Uh, the, do you have a special devotion to Blessed Miguel Pro? Just a little bit about your own personal story with this. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, well, I think uh, for several reasons. This past summer, I was actually in El Paso, Texas, uh, working on the border. Um, and I was stay, staying at Sacred Heart Parish. And I noticed the, I mean, I myself am a Mexican Catholic. And so I see Our Lady Guadalupe everywhere. I see the Sacred Heart everywhere. And I'm just really inspired of that. And I wanted to relate to a saint from Mexico that uh, maybe I didn't know too much about. I have heard of Blessed Miguel Pro. And I've prayed to him before, uh, but here I was kind of inspired to go deeper. And so during my time in El Paso, I started reading about him a little bit more. And I was just so moved by his life. I was able to relate in, in, in a few ways, you know, his experience of the spiritual exercises, how profound that experience is, but also the way in which he was able to endure suffering. I think in the Jesuit constitutions, we talk about serving under the banner of the cross. And when I think of that, I think of people like Miguel Pro, uh, somebody that's able to encounter suffering, but bring good out of it, you know, through the grace of God. Um, he just really embodied a lot of the ideals of what uh, Ignatius had in mind. So yeah, hearing his story, I mean, I my, my, myself being Mexican Catholic and uh, hearing about his love for family and his devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe, uh, his devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, um, it felt like home to me, you know, it felt like a, like a close brother of mine. And the fact that he's a Jesuit too, you know, professed vows in the same society, went through some similar formation, these kind of things, uh, inspires my own vocation. So I'm like, wow, how can I look to him in moments of difficulty or, you know, even in ministry? So I mentioned earlier how he was able to relate to people really well. He's able to be in good relationship with people. And through his witness, he was able to say a lot. And I look at that, I'm like, wow, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to be in relationship with people. I want to be uh, able to show the best sides of the church, uh, to really love people and bring them closer to Jesus. Uh, so I look at Blessed Miguel Pro, and I'm just inspired all around. Do we have, uh, I mean, the witness of his life is certainly speaks incredible, uh, speaks volumes. Do we have any of his writings to uh, reflect on? Yeah, there are a few writings. So there's a lot of letters that he wrote, even some comics. So it's kind of interesting. He would, you could see kind of his humor play out too. Um, but as you read a lot of his writings, you see his deep devotion, his love for the faith, this profound piety play out. So he would talk about his devotion to Mary. And he would oftentimes write in his journal about a lot of the sufferings that he was um, encountering internally or physically, you know, these kind of things. So you kind of get a glimpse of his interior life more through his writings than you would hear from other people. Because with other people, including his own Jesuit brothers, he wanted to always uh, encourage, he wanted to console, he wanted to make people laugh, these kind of things. Uh, but privately, that's where you see his devotion and his love for his faith. One thing that's come up in your, in your talking about Miguel Pro and, and this whole story is you've mentioned his devotion to the sacred heart several times. The sacred heart is often connected to devotion to Christ the King. Uh, the, in Quas Primas, which is the encyclical implementing the um, Christ the King, uh, 
uh, refers back to Anam Sakram, which is about devotion to the Sacred Heart uh, from Pope Leo XIII. Many times when Jesus is depicted as Christ the King, he's usually depicted with the Sacred Heart um, and also usually depicted surrounded by angels and saints, showing the connection with the Feast of All Saints and Christ the King. I just wonder if you could, would you mind saying a little bit about um, how you can answer this however you want, whether you want to say just personally or just or or in Miguel Pro's life or in the Jes in Jesuit spirituality in general, like the Sacred Heart. What why why is that so devotion to the Sacred Heart? What is the meaning there? Why is that so important? Um, or how is that connected to Christ the King? That's a great question because I think the Sacred Heart, the devotion to the Sacred Heart, ties really well with the devotion to Christ the King. Because we have to keep in mind, you know, who is Christ? What kind of king is he? And the Sacred Heart kind of gives us some insight when it comes to that. You know, a king that is humble, that is gentle, that is meek. Uh, a king that understands us, that, that knows how we feel, knows our own hearts. Uh, you think of Jesus in his ministry. I think every time we, we kind of, you know, lose a sense of, okay, who, who is God? How is he like? And we go through the gospel and we see how Jesus relates to people. We see how Jesus speaks to people, what he says. These kind of things give insight into the person that he is and what kind of king he is. And so when we look at the sacred heart, we're reminded of his mercy. You know, the, the cross there with the fire burning and this love for us so much to the point that he was willing to die for us. This is the kind of king that we're trying to imitate. This is the king that we're following. And so bless me, Gail Pro, I think you know, would have seen this relationship, right? Especially with his love to, uh, to Mary, you know, how Mary even understands the heart of Christ. And then he looks at the sacred heart and he's like, wow, that's, that's something that I am willing to conform my will to because that's, that's what beauty looks like. That's what love is. And then, oh my gosh, this is my king. You know, Jesus is the king. And, and that's in reference to the Old Testament. That's in reference to the new. Um, so we hear that the kingdom of God is coming. And so what kind of king are we following? We're following Christ the king, this loving, this merciful, this uh, king that wants us to experience the fullness of life. Well, and so, and that's a good segue into talking about the solemnity of Christ the king, which is, is coming up soon. Can you just say a little bit about what this solemnity is about and what it, you know, what does it mean for Catholics today, especially considering that you know, we're not facing what what Miguel Pro was facing. Uh, right. But but what does it mean still um, for us when, when we celebrate this Sunday? You know, what what should we be thinking about or meditating on? Right, right. I think, uh, you know, when we look at Christ the King, for example, we look at uh, the model of what we want to be like, who we want to be, be like. Um, so the Christ the King solemnity Reminds us of why we're alive, who we're following, who are we trying to become. So during the time that this was implemented, instituted, uh, you know, there was a lot of anti-clerical movements going on throughout the world. Uh, different nations uh, abandoning Christ or suppressing religion, these kind of things. So the Christ the King solemnity reminds us that, well, real, you know, real joy, real prosperity comes from following this king that is righteous, that is loving, that is merciful. And so we talk about religious freedom, for example, you know, what does religious freedom mean? 
And, you know, we have religious freedom here in our country, but oftentimes we're not talking about our faith. We feel like it should be something private. But Christ the King calls us to really let, uh, live that out well, to be a witness to that, to talk about our faith, to talk about who we're looking to serve. These kind of things are important to remember uh, during the solemnity of Christ the King. Yeah, I think that that's one of the uh, a key point is this idea that that there's no there's no aspect of our lives that's that is not um, that does not belong to Christ. And so, in, with our whole lives, you know, like you mentioned, you use the term we kind of keep things private, and this kind of tendency sometimes to compartmentalize that Christ the King sort of challenges uh, our tendency sometimes to do that. I just wonder, maybe you could say, if do you have any other, I can imagine somebody listening to this, though, and like, you you mentioned share, being willing to share our faith in some ways. Um, you know, what are what are ways that people might do that or ways that people can bear witness to their faith in Jesus Christ, just kind of in ordinary circumstances? I mean, you know, any any share your thoughts on that because i think a lot of people find that like i don't even know what might feel like they don't know what that means you know what what am i supposed to do yeah that's a great question that's a great question i think um more than anything i look at like miguel pro and his example of what that looked like he he was joyful you know he loved relating to people he loved being in relationship with people and that's an authentic witness of the holy spirit right that's one of the gifts of the holy spirit is this joy that comes into our hearts and we want to express that. So uh, what we can do today, I think, is, is being able to talk about, you know, where that joy comes from. Somebody's going to ask about that. You know, why are you so happy? Oh, honestly, I, I, I get that from my faith or my prayer leads me to want to do more for the poor or the marginalized, you know, these kind of things. So we, we become witnesses by not only what we say, but what we do. And this is very Ignatian, you know, that love ought to be shown more in deeds than in words. And it's coming from this sense that our prayer, what happens uh, internally or privately, uh, can be expressed externally. And so I, I, I firmly believe that prayer does have uh, a transformative aspect to it when it comes to like even encountering somebody or coming to talk to somebody. You can kind of sense, you know, when someone's prayerful, like, wow, there, there's something about him that he has or she has that I want and I desire. And then that's when we're invited to share about our faith. Yeah, so I think, I think doing that and, and also participating in things in our communities, you know, getting involved in different groups, uh, sharing our talents. You know, this is also something within the spiritual exercises is that we're trying to build a personal relationship with Jesus. And so we're looking at the gifts and talents that God has given us, each individually, um, each uniquely, right? And so we take these gifts and talents that God has given us and we share them with the world, you know, for the greater glory of God. We're inviting people to see the way in which God is in everything, apparent in everything, um, in the sciences, right? In education, uh, in works of charity. I saw this very much so on the Southern border, you know, a lot of the churches there uh, providing services that many other institutions don't offer. So these kind of things, I think, show a great witness and can really move hearts. Um, well, I wonder also just to ask you to to kind of wrap wrap us up to build on what you just said even a little bit more because you mentioned kind of I think what you're saying is the way that our 
interior life will then kind of find an expression in, in our in the deeds that we do that this um like that that kind of joy or a certain kind of peace in the you know whenever even in the face of like crises and things like that really flows from a life of prayerful a, a healthy prayer life is, is is key is kind of where a lot of this starts and so i wonder you know could you also share maybe some you know some of the wisdom from your ignatian tradition just for you know even for the the uh, the average catholic or you know regular lay person what what are some what's maybe one or two practices that we might incorporate um, that can help us to build up that kind of interior life where then we have the courage to you know not necessarily big dramatic things but even just in simple right. ways to to share the joy that we have yeah, I think two come to mind. They're very simple, but I mean, oh my goodness, have they uh, have they been monumental in my own life? Um, the first one I'll talk about is, is is prayer, like a commitment to prayer. I, I I make time. We Jesuits do something called the examine at the end of our day, and it's where we review our day and kind of look at the graces that God has given us or granted us, responding with gratitude, uh, and then looking in areas that perhaps we didn't live out the ideals that we were striving for. And so how can we work towards that the next day? Also, just making time for prayer allows us to listen uh, to the way that God is working in our lives and is directing our lives. So it gives us a little bit more clarity and it reminds us of the love that we experience. Um, my most profound memory of this is it was really during the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Uh, during that time, becoming aware and also feeling this love to such an intensity, you know, and, and being reminded of the forgiveness that God has, the, the mercy that God has really moved me and floored me. And that had, that has stayed with me. That has given me a lot of consolation, a lot of strength as I continue in formation, as I continue in ministry and all these kind of things. The second thing I think is, is getting to know the saints well. The church is so rich with so many saints, and we can all relate to a different saint. Uh, it doesn't have to be Blessed Miguel Pro. It doesn't have to be Saint Ignatius. It can be somebody that, um, you know, is more familiar with the situation that we're in. It could be a mother. It could be a father. It could be somebody that worked in the military, all these different things. We, we can find saints for every kind of situation. And when we read about them, we can become inspired. Um, I think of like Blessed Solanus Casey as well in Detroit. He was a contemporary saint. And I look at him, I'm like, wow, you know, in a world that is so stimulated and busy and, and we're always running around doing a bunch of different things, Solanus Casey reminds me to slow down and kind of look at what's important, uh, respond with humility, these kind of things. Miguel Pro reminds me of my commitment to prayer, the Blessed Sacrament, you know, where am I getting my strength, all these kind of things. Uh, St. Ignatius reminds me of forgiveness, you know, God's mercy, and then also building a personal relationship with God. So we have such a rich, rich history of saints, contemporary and old, that we can look to and be inspired by. Um, so I would encourage people to kind of read about the saints, you know, and always, you know, it's always good to revisit the Gospels as well, being reminded of who Jesus is, how did the apostles uh, minister in the early years, these kind of things. Well, I love that you ended that way because your um, 
fellow Jesuit uh, Bill McCormick was on our podcast not long ago. And when I asked him a similar question, uh, he w- cited Bishop Flores, a bishop on the southern border. And he, that Bishop Flores always recommends spending time with the gospel each day. And so I just think that it's, it's kind of great that it's all just come full circle here at, yeah, the, absolutely. at the end. But also, you know, I can't help but think when you are, when you're sharing that about like the examine, for example, I have found like, I, I think there was a time in my life when I would have heard something like that and said, that's just, that just seems too easy. Sure, surely there need, there's more to it. And I feel like the the older I've gotten, not that I'm that old, but that like these these sorts of simple things actually really are the key, you know, that it's not yeah. it's not that you have to like do some crazy thing necessarily, that it's that doing something like what what you're talking about, like a daily exam and would if anybody who does something like that is going it it will it would change your life uh, to incorporate a practice yeah. like that. Yeah. I think the trick is just doing it. That's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) The discipline to make it that daily habit, you know, Mm. that's, that's sometimes the hardest part, but that's, that's so helpful. You're right. And I especially appreciate that you mentioned the contemporary saints, because I find that sometimes they're for me, um, more helpful to relate to than people who lived, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it's very helpful. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like what you're just saying, you know, the simple things, I, I mean, sometimes it's hard, you know, to find time for prayer. And the way I kind of do it is I'm pretty practical at times. I'll, I'll, I'll grab my phone and I'll set an hour an alarm on my phone. I'm like, okay, for an hour, I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to allow God to work. It's going to be tough. You know, I'm going to try to move around, but I have an hour that I'm going to set an alarm for, and I'm going to try it. But I'm not saying everyone should do an hour every day. I mean, it's hard when you're raising a family or you have work, these kind of things really are important. And so it's important to find those brief moments of prayer as well at the end of the day, 15 minutes. I mean, that can make a huge difference. Emmanuel, this has really been a great conversation, perfect for um, preparing for the Solemnity of Christ the King, which is coming up. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to, to reading more of your work and seeing you know what you do here here in the years ahead. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. We've been talking with Emmanuel Arenas about Blessed Miguel Pro and the Solemnity of Christ the King. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast. (laughs) 